You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Lamont, you know I'd do anything for you. Tell her to have a face fix. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Today is officially the day we've all been, been waiting for. I've been waiting so long, I can't even get the words out. And so the plan for today, really, aside from a couple little minor rumors, this, that, and the other, is going to be to look at prospects, but to do it from a little bit of a different angle, and that is to just kind of rapid fire, look through different prospects via PFF in terms of the best of the best in a given category. For example, and I can't say they all are in line with the Green Bay Packers, but uh, everybody has different opinions of what you like, what you think they like, whatever. But um, which wide receiver is best at getting yards after the catch? Which running back is the best receiving back? Which tight ends are the best blockers, best receivers, etc., etc., etc.? Because, I mean, let's face it, we're all just killing time, right? Killing time for the big show. Speaking of the big show, starting at 6.30 Central, I'm going to be going live on the Green Bay Packer Nation Facebook page. Um, the way that this is going to work and I've been trying to toy around with maybe the best possible way to do this or not do this or whatever. Brady and I are going to go live at 6.30. We're going to do a little bit of a preview. He has to jump off. He's going to take a little break. I think he has to change locations, whatever he's got to do. He's planning to be back. We are planning to be back at around the time the Lions are about to pick. So very, very early. And then I believe from then on, we're streaming straight through. I had tried to think, should I try to stream and be there for the first few picks that we kind of already know what they're going to be? There's probably going to be some big surprises that we're going to end up missing. I also don't really want to lose whatever people might be sticking around to uh, to hang out. But I figure, you know what, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. To get it all set up, to stream over at my channel, to watch the first three picks and then say, all right, I got to go and then head back over, you know, I'll be around. If you want to text or whatever the deal is, I'll be here, I'll be watching the draft, and then just stick around. Stay uh, plugged into the Green Bay Packer Nation Facebook page because, again, um, you've got several hours of NFL draft content. We're going to miss maybe like, what? what is that, 20, 30 minutes? And then we're coming back hot and heavy for the remainder of the draft, and I'm very, very excited about that. As a reminder, predict the pick, uh, predictpick.nfl.com forward slash group forward slash 1284. That is the group. Or I think if you just go to, uh, if you just click on groups, our, our group has gotten big enough to where if you just click on groups, you'll see Packernet just sitting there. So go to predictpick.nfl.com, look at all the different groups. It's the one, two, three, four, five, sixth biggest group on the entire website. Third biggest private group. It is uh, password Packernet. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, again, I posted links on Twitter, on Facebook, all this stuff. But get in there. The person who... Um, does a mock draft that is the most accurate is going to be getting a $100 gift card to the website Fanatics. Now, Fanatics has officially licensed NFL merchandise, so you can get yourself an actual NFL jersey, whatever the case is. Second place is getting 50 bucks. Third place is going to get something I don't know what. Still don't know. It's going to be sweet, so don't worry about it. 
Maybe I'll send you some Packernet merch or something. I don't know. I don't know. But it's something fun to do. And again, I believe they're going to do some live scoring. Maybe not. But if they are, you can tune in to Green Bay Packer Nation, the live stream, and uh, I'll be updating you on that. And um, I don't know. It's just going to be a good time, so be sure to check that out. Also, while we're plugging stuff, remember PackerNetPod.com is the new uh, website. I've got episodes like 980 through current day, not including this current episode. Um, All the transcriptions are there, so if you want to search episodes or whatever, uh, you can do so. It's got a bunch of other links and fun stuff there as well, so be sure to check that out. What else? Anything else? I don't think so. Couple different rumors we got uh, floating around. Number one, apparently the New England Patriots are very, very aggressively making phone calls to move up inside of the top 10, even as far as number four. Now, remember, teams like to call to gauge just to get as much information as possible. It may not be a super serious call. Now, it's got to be at least somewhat serious. I doubt the Packers are calling to find out what the price is. But they may just be working their way through to find out, you know, maybe it's uh, somewhat of a reasonable price and we could consider it. If they, you know, really want out of here and they really want to move back pretty far and they're willing to give us a reasonable price, maybe we'd consider it. But they're looking to be very, very aggressive. On the flip side, you've got a couple of teams that were assumed to be looking at quarterbacks kind of around the 10-ish range that seem to be gearing up on quarterbacks, namely the Carolina Panthers at eight, who picked up Sam Darnold, and now the Denver Broncos, who traded the Carolina Panthers for Teddy Bridgewater. I really think all three things, the Patriots, the Denver Broncos, and the Carolina Panthers, are really just sort of positioning. It's not necessarily telling us anything. I don't think. It may be, but I don't know that it has to be. I think they're putting themselves in a position so that if something falls a certain way, and every team wants to do this, you put yourself in a position so that you're ready if something happens. It's why teams call other teams. I'm sure the Packers have called other teams in the 20s or whatever, just kind of wondering, hey, what do you got going on? What are you interested in? I'm sure teams have, you know, Jacksonville, the Jets, and uh, Atlanta and whatnot have called the Packers like, hey, what's it going to take to get back into the round? But generally speaking, I think it's a matter of they know who they like, they know who they don't like, And we want to be able to make the best possible decision if things go a certain way. For example, Denver wants to be able to feel comfortable enough at quarterbacks so that if they're not in a position to get one of the quarterbacks they like, they don't have to. I don't think this necessarily means they're taking Teddy because they know they're not going to get somebody. It may be that they're starting to think that they're not. Remember, it's not just a matter of what quarterbacks. I'm not saying that all the top quarterbacks are going to be gone. They maybe don't like some of them. They might be looking at Justin Fields and saying, I'm not comfortable with his health situation. They might be looking at uh, Trey Lance and saying, look, he he might be good, but we're talking NDSU. We're talking about a guy that took a year off. We're talking about a guy that's a better runner than he is a thrower. I'm not interested. And so maybe they're in a position where they're saying, look, if Trevor or Zach or Mac is in range, in other words, if San Francisco is really not going to take Mac Jones. If they end up taking Justin Fields and shock the world, maybe we'll start making phone calls to move up and get Mac. If they go one, two, three, Trevor, Zach, and Mac, then we're going to stay with what we've got at Teddy Bridgewater, which is why we traded for him. We want to at least have somebody that we can trust that maybe can get us to where we want, and we'll do what we can. We'll continue building the right way rather than reaching on a quarterback that we don't actually believe in, and then hopefully next year we can get somebody. Same thing for the Panthers. I don't think it's necessarily that they don't want a quarterback or that they wouldn't take one if they're not comfortable. But if you think about it, San Francisco moved up to three because they're comfortable with three quarterbacks. 
Is it possible that the other teams are also only comfortable with three quarterbacks? And so again, they're in a position where they probably either don't think a quarterback is going to fall to them or they think there's a good chance, but it maybe isn't. So we got to make sure that we're in the right spot. Similarly, the Patriots aren't necessarily ready, and maybe they are, but this is my assumption. They're not necessarily ready or trying right now to get up there. I'm not, they're not trying to get up to, to six so that they can grab. They don't know. But just like all those other teams, let's say they really like Trey Lance. They love, you know, that's why they went out and got Cam. They really like this mobile style of quarterback, and they like his arm, and they like all these different things, and they think they can do something special with him. If Trey falls, and by, by falls I mean, you know, to late top 10-ish. And, you know, there's been some talk about possibly Detroit wanting to get out of that spot. It's a little a little far, in my opinion. But remember, Detroit's in a rebuild, and they're probably not going quarterback. So, I mean, if you're talking about possibly giving me a bunch of picks in the future to move up, you know, so stack me up with, you know, a second round and a couple this year, and then maybe a first next year or something, I don't know. Sweeten the pot to drop all the way to 15. You come up and get Lance, and we'll move back. Otherwise, again, they're just making phone calls. If, if the guy that they want is gone, let's say the 49ers take Lance or the Falcons want to trade back, but they don't want to go back that far, so they trade with Denver and Denver takes the guy they want, then New England's like, ah, forget it. And you got Detroit or, or Carolina or whoever, like, hey, you still want to trade? And they're like, nah, forget you. That's my thought. We're all just jockeying for position. We're trying to think through the scenarios and we're trying to make sure that we don't have to do anything dire or desperate or stupid. In other newsy news... Tony Pauline did his most recent mock draft. He had the Green Bay Packers taking wide receiver Kadarius Toney out of Florida. You probably saw this already, but not only is that interesting because, I mean, we've seen a billion mock drafts and Tony has gone to the Packers several times, but he goes on to say, a big corner like Greg Newsom may land with Green Bay, but I'm told the Green Bay Packers love Kadarius Toney and his playmaking abilities. Now, this is interesting for several reasons. I think several people have already made the point uh, Schneidman and a few others, that it makes sense to not get too caught up in the fact that the Packers don't take wide receiver. This is a different year with different circumstances. Everything is different. And I could come up with several different reasons why wide receiver makes sense this year where it hasn't in the past. One of which, yes, being the fact that we really need or, or may very well be short on wide receiver next year. Yes, we could just bring all these guys back again because some of them are going to be just as dirt cheap as a first round pick anyways, maybe even less so. But I think that's a part of it. we got to reload the position. Another would be generally a change in philosophy. Whether you subscribe to this or not, I think it's a reasonable thought. That is, last year the plan was to focus on the future. We don't know what Aaron Rodgers provides. We don't know if we're going to keep Aaron Jones. We don't really know. We need to start building a new team for a new future. The Packers absolutely tear it up. Number one offense in football. Aaron Rodgers is literally the best version of Aaron Rodgers we have ever seen ever. It's not like he got his groove back. It's like this is the best version of Rodgers we've ever seen ever. So it works very well with this system. Everything's going great. So we're going to change from moving away to a new future toward, hey, this is serious and we got a real good football team. Let's bring everybody back and then load up. We may see a different philosophy. It, it, it may shift to a more win now, and I know they've already been semi-win now, but I do think the draft was heavily future-oriented last year, and I don't know that that's necessarily all that debatable when you're quarterback and running back are your first two picks, and I think there could be a, a change in philosophy. But anyways, that then brings up the question of which wide receiver, and without going through all of them and the reasons, I think Kadarius Tony does make a good amount of sense. The other thing that I find interesting about Kadarius, although the, the, it's also the one thing that, I guess is iffy about, but at the same time, he's being told the Packers love him. I had just read before I saw this report, 
And I'm trying to think who it was, where I saw it. Obviously, it wasn't Pauline, so who would it have been? I don't know. I think it was somewhere at The Athletic. Oh, I know exactly. It was, uh, he's a Packer guy. Old school guy. Been around forever. It's going to drive me nuts. I got to find it. Bob McGinn. That's who it is. And, and now that I found it, I might as well read it to you. The interesting thing about Tony is he seems a little bit iffy as far as his character. And I, I don't want to say that with too much authority because I'm not speaking with a huge amount of knowledge on that, but that's just sort of a vibe that I'm getting. He also, the, apparently he's an, an aspiring rapper. And I don't exactly know what to make of that. You know, you it's fine if you have a hobby or a side thing, right? We got guys on the team that like to play video games, board games, grilling out, side businesses, philanthropy. Why can't a guy rap? I don't know. Well, I mean, he literally can't rap. He's pretty bad at it, but that's aside from the whole... You just, you just don't want that to be his main aspiration, I guess. But it goes beyond that. I just thought that that was weird, and then I looked up his music videos, and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. This <laughs> is not good. But that was one of the notes that he brought up from a scout. It says he's a passionate rap artist, which use an artist a little fast and loose, but that's fine. But the one that really caught me was another. He So this he does these articles ranking the receivers based on what scouts are telling him. And so he just has different blurbs from different scouts. This is one that I thought was kind of shocking. It starts off, we would never draft him, but he's a matchup nightmare for a defense as a slot. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, hold on. What do you mean you would never draft him? I get that there are certain people that that fit a scheme or this, that, or the other thing. And maybe that's all they're talking about is he just doesn't fit our system. Or maybe it's a team that's loaded with wide receiver talent or, or something. I don't know. But that's such a weird comment to make. We, as a group, would never draft Kadarius Tony. So he's officially off some team's boards. And at the same time, the Packers really like the guy. It just feels like that's going to filter him closer and closer to the Green Bay Packers. He fits what the Packers like. He's got unbelievable yards after the catch ability. So he's a guy you throw a screen pass to. There's three guys ready to tackle him, and he somehow manages to get eight yards out of it. That's what Kadarius Toney does. On top of that, he's actually a pretty good deep threat. So he's he's sort of he's giving you what you get in these kind of specialist weapony type guys, while at the same time potentially replacing MVS. So again, it's just my guy, if, if I had to pick a guy, and I've kind of sat on this guy for a while, and I know a lot of people disagree. I, I think Sam Cosme makes sense. Tevin Jenkins, I think, is gone. I think he would make sense. Sam Cosme is just, when I look at it, it's like that one makes the most sense to me. And then I think, what about wide receiver? And even, even everything I just said, it's like, I just, I don't think they're going to do it. But again, when you look at the information, it's like, I don't know, man. I think they might go a little heavy for now. It is a need in terms of depth. So it's, it's technically a future pick as well as a now pick. It's a loaded wide receiver class. I mean, especially at that range, there's a bunch of wide receivers sitting there. Possibly, potentially. The Packers seem to really like a guy that's right in their range, and it's also a guy that apparently a lot of other teams don't like, so he's probably going to fall to them. And if it's true they really, really like him, why not? So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I got three things in my head. Sam Cosme makes a ton of sense to me. Kadarius Toney is really starting to just, like, blow up in my face. And then there's just the, who's the really weird pick that doesn't make any sense, but then after like a minute of thinking about it, you're like, I guess that does make sense, even though it wasn't what I was thinking, but I'll start getting excited about it. Right, that's like your Trayvon, uh, Trayvon Morig, Merig, whatever. Jason Oway, um, who else? Nobody really, I mean, Joe Tryon, uh, you know, Edge Rusher, possibly Creed Humphrey, you know, Javon Holland. So I don't know, I'm, I'm excited, but... Here's the other thing, and I don't know if I brought this up yet or not. 
and I and again I keep avoiding the press conference because I just I don't don't really want to get into it. But there was one big takeaway that kind of threw me for a loop, and I'd go find it, but I don't feel like listening to forty five minutes of it just to find the one clip. You probably remember it. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. You'll find it. But he was asked about his penchant for trading up. And my general thought is, especially when we're talking small sample sizes, there's usually nothing more to it than uh, coincidence. You know, teams have a philosophy and, and, you know, it just sort of happens to be that if certain things fall a certain way, the, the, the board, the philosophy, the general understanding is we should probably move up and do it. It just so happens that that's kind of what happened in the past. Now, obviously, you've got people like... Um, Ted Thompson, who are a little bit different, a little bit more conservative, they're less willing to give up the picks because they're too attached to the picks. Obviously, we know that this is a different GM that we have now in Brian Gutekunst. He's a little bit more aggressive, so he's more willing if the board says we should trade up to do it, whereas Ted would be like, I know that the board says to trade up, but I'm going to hang back. We'll see how it goes, and then we'll probably trade back because these picks are all trash. The thing that was interesting to me, though, was the way he answered that and it was awesome to hear because you forget that it, it's not just that Brian Gutekunst has a job and his job is to be the Packers GM. He is a Packers fan. He is a fan of the Green Bay Packers, just like all of us. He is a fan of these prospects, just like all of us. And he falls in love with prospects, just like we do. But he made it very clear that he absolutely falls in love with, with, with prospects. And I think the trading up thing, it, it made me think that it's very possible um, that this may be a trend. Not that he's going to do it just to do it, but... Again, it's all about what you're willing to do compared to it, it's the, the the pros and the cons, right? Ted is very attached to picks, so he doesn't want to give them up. Whereas I think Gutekunst is very attached to players. And he even laid it out and said something th- to the effect of when you're sitting there and you're watching these guys that you've fallen in love with slowly go one after the other off the board that you really, really want, it's painful. And eventually you get down to only having one or two guys left on your board, and I can't not just go up and get them. Again, Ted's looking at that going, ah, shucks, oh well. I think Goot's looking at that going, we can't let him go. And he's got guys in the room that are like, I mean, it sucks, but maybe we, maybe we, just, maybe we just let him go, you know? I mean, they might still fall to us. You don't know that he's going to be gone. We shouldn't be giving up so many picks, man. We got a lot of needs, and uh, Goot's just like, no, man, I love that guy. Like, he's just, he's just passionate about these guys, and he really wants to get them in here. Now, again, it, it all is going to come down. I'm not saying we're going to trade up, because it all depends on the way things go. If they really, really like five guys and there's six picks left, they're probably not trading up. If they really, really like two guys and there's eight picks left, they might start making phone calls. Kind of find that sweet spot where it's like, we're at 29, let's call somebody at 25, see what it's going to take to get up there, and then we'll kind of hold off and see if one of these guys makes it there. If one of these guys does make it to 25, we pull the trigger and we take the best one. Something to that effect. But it, it was interesting hearing him say that because it kind of changed my opinion on it where it's just complete happenstance to this guy is just passionate about guys and he can't let them go. I'm sure he will in certain circumstances. He's not going to be reckless, but he's very, he's nowhere near as attached to picks as Ted Thompson was. And he would rather use the capital to move up and get guys that he's passionate about, that he really has fallen in love with as far as their ability to help this team than he is about a, a random third round pick or whatever. So I found that to be very interesting. Anyways, uh, why don't we just take a break here, and then we'll kind of launch into the whole checking on the prospects and whatnot. Uh, the one other thing I did want to mention is Patreon. I have been uploading um, 
these episodes. So I'm recording at night. It is 9.41 p.m. I'm very tired. Not quite acclimated to this whole new situation. But when I'm done here, I will upload it directly to Patreon. So if you're up at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock, whatever time it is, and you feel like listening to the podcast, it's right there waiting for you. Otherwise, it will be scheduled. It's also ad-free because the ads kind of run through the hosting stuff, and that all gets entered in digitally somewhere off in Never Never Land. I don't put any of that stuff in there. So when I upload the audio, it's just the show. So if you want ad-free and early, you can go to patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join for as little as a dollar per month to get ad-free early podcasts. Or if you just feel like listening to it tomorrow, you can go on there and listen to it again ad-free. Speaking of Patreon, thank you very much to Bearded Buck Outdoors. Be sure to check out Jacob's company. He's got some beard uh, maintenance, beard grooming. It is a Wisconsin-based company, and he's also a loyal listener to the show and helps me out with a ton of stuff. So I would love it if you have a beard and you're buying beard oils and combs and everything else, if you wouldn't mind checking out his website and possibly buying from him. Also, big shout-out to Austin Kelly for jumping in on Patreon. We lost somebody, but we gained two more. We're coming back strong. That puts us at just eight patrons away from my goal. Um, The goal was before the start of the season. I'm kind of thinking at this rate, let's try to do it before I get moved into my new house. How does that sound? June 7th is my closing date on the house. If we can get eight more patrons, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, why don't we just take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I'm not going to go through everything. I'm not interested in looking at quarterbacks who are the best at, you know, play action. I just, I don't care. If we were looking for quarterbacks directly, maybe, um, but I'm not doing that. So why don't we actually start with wide receivers? First of all, just right out of the gate, who are some of the highest graded overall wide receivers in this draft class? Not surprisingly, the number one overall receiver, Devontae Smith out of Alabama. 94.9 overall grade. He also had the highest receiving grade by kind of a lot, 95.6. The next highest was Jakari Roberson, 92.9. I don't believe that's a draft-eligible guy, I'm just saying. Um, Third on this list is Elijah Moore as far as receiving grade. 
After that is Jalen Darden, the North Texas wide receiver. Again, they don't um, adjust grades for competition, so you have to take that into account, but still very, very highly um, highly rated. Another guy that is uh, currently 245th on the big board, but still worth talking about, Dax Milne out of BYU is actually the sixth highest um, wide receiver in all of college football. Now, I'm just looking at 2020, and I understand some guys were not in school in 2020. I mean, I could go back to 2019 and look at it just for fun, but then it's kind of like a whole different deal. Uh, You do have Tutu Atwell, number three overall. That's a guy that I do like quite a bit. Uh, You got Jamar Chase sitting at number four, obviously very highly rated guy. So I guess we'll just stick with that because that's about it. What about yards after the catch? Who are the yards after the catch, the yak monsters? Number one, and by a pretty wide margin, is Mr. Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. Dwayne is sitting at 84th overall, so expected to be roughly a third-round prospect. Obviously couldn't go anywhere from the second to who knows when. But at only five foot nine, 190 pounds, obviously he's a much smaller guy. Uh, he was kind of a slot slash outside guy, but you know maybe he ends up staying inside in the slot as a NFL player. I don't know. But 14.4 yards after the catch per reception, 23 yards per reception overall. So absolutely massive. Second place was 11.9 by Corey Rucker out of uh, Arkansas State. And really, as far as guys that are in the draft, there's nobody in the top five that's even in this draft. The next best is Jalen Waddle, who's probably going to be long gone, and he's at 10 yards after the catch per reception. What about good hands? Who are the guys that got real good hands not dropping the ball all the time? Well, there were actually quite a few who didn't have a single drop in 2020. Of those guys, the ones that you probably care about, how about Mr. Rondale Moore out of Purdue? Now, Rondale Moore did not play a very full season, but I mean, when is he ever? Um, you got Eli Stove, who's at about 450th overall, so an undrafted free agent, but zero drops in 10 games. You've got Riley Lease out of Northwestern, literally one of the worst, or I shouldn't say that, one of the lowest on the big board of, of all wide receivers. But again, there you go. If I'm trying to find a guy that you know that also played a, a decent amount, how about Elijah Moore? His drop percentage was 2.3%. He had uh, 90, or excuse, 91 drops. He had two drops, 101 targets, 86 reception. So a lot of people like Elijah Moore. I'm certainly not opposed to it. I know um, there's questions about his size and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, if you're looking for a playmaker, um, he's also got some yards after the catch ability and some real good hands. Also, Kadarius Toney is not super far down this list. He's technically 23rd, but this is out of a billion wide receivers. 2.8% also only had two drops. 84 targets, 70 receptions. So um, guys with pretty solid hands. If you're looking on the opposite end of that spectrum, you got a guy like Rashad Bateman. He's actually 38th worst. Again, out of a billion people, 14.3% were dropped. He had six drops on the season. If you're looking at contested catch rate, um, one guy, again, he's probably going to be long gone, but Jalen Waddell, 100% contested catch rate, four out of four. The real monster, though, who actually had a bunch of opportunities is Mr. Terrace Marshall, the guy that really doesn't get a lot, uh, doesn't get talked about uh, enough because he's, he's always been right in that range where the Packers are, but nobody talks about him. Eleven times he had a, a 50-50 ball. Nine times he comes down with it. That's really, really impressive. Um, some other guys that you've probably heard of, Daz Newsom out of North Carolina, uh, Wap Fillier, another one with a ton of opportunities and came down with uh, eight out of ten. 
And once again, Elijah Moore, which as shocking as that is because he's a tiny guy, 15 50-50 balls. He came down with 11 of them. It's really just kind of staggering for a guy that size. But, you know, what people say about him is he's small in stature, but he doesn't play like it. He plays real physical. He'll bowl right through guys, and he's obviously pretty solid with 50-50 balls. On the other end of the spectrum, you got Jalen Darden. Now, this is a smaller stature guy that is not coming down with him. In fact, nine times he had 50-50 balls. He caught zero of them. So he's either open or he's not going to catch it. Don't even bother throwing at him. Um, another guy that's quite popular, Amari Rogers, seven 50-50 balls. He only caught one. Reggie Roberson out of SMU caught one of five. Marlon Williams, Shai Smith. Again, Rondale Moore only caught one of four. Rondale's been on the wrong side of quite a few of these. Um, if we look at, uh, finally, missed tackles forced. So you got the ball in your hand, somebody's trying to tackle you, and you did something to make them miss. Number one on this list, Jalen Darden. So you're getting a clear picture of Jalen, right? Jalen is a smaller, speedier playmaker. He's going to get down the field, he's going to get open, and he can make stuff happen when he's got the ball in his hand. But he's not a very physical guy. He's not winning 50-50 balls. Again, if he's not getting away from somebody, nothing's happening. But 23 missed tackles forced more than anybody else in college football, at least with the filters that I have on. Uh, Marlon Williams out of UCF, 219th overall on this big board. So he's quite a ways down. But he had 22 missed tackles forced. Actually had an 87 overall grade, 88 receiving grade. Um, Pretty solid grades across the board, just not super... uh, excitable, I guess. Kadarius Toney and Elijah Moore, also very high. Not surprisingly, Kadarius Toney was fifth with 20 missed tackles forced. Elijah Moore, 18 missed tackles forced. Elijah Moore actually had quite a few more opportunities, so kudos to um, Kadarius, who only had 84. Everybody else that I've listed so far has at least 100. Elijah has 101. Um, Marlon has 104. Jalen Darden, 112. So on a percentage basis, I'm not going to actually do it, but Kadarius is really high on that list, which isn't surprising because that's what he's known for. A um, couple guys to, that are worth mentioning, Amari Rogers, 17 missed tackles forced, Daz Newsom, Seth Williams, whatever. So again, just kind of a look at not just the players and their scouting reports, but their grades and also what it is they excel at or don't necessarily excel at. Similarly now, let's look at uh, tight ends. As far as receivers go, not surprisingly, Kyle Pitts dominates this category. 96.1 receiving grade, which is just pretty much off the charts. As far as some of the other guys, and and there are good receiving tight ends. Unfortunately, a lot of them are just not coming out into the draft this year. The next best is the eighth highest with an 83 overall grade, and that's Hunter Long out of Boston College, uh, currently sitting at 100 overall on the big board, so I guess third-ish, fourth-ish round, whatever. But six foot five, two fifty three, always been a real good receiver. Never really been very good of a of a, of a pass blocker. The only other tight end in the top ten is actually Pat Fryermuth, who is, I mean, considered the next best prospect, kind of a second round kind of a guy. Brevin Jordan may actually go for uh, sooner than Pat Fryermuth, but um, he's the only other top ten receiving tight end. As far as pass blocking, believe it or not, because he kind of gets knocked on it, the highest graded pass blocker is Kyle Pitts. Now, it's not a great grade. It's a 77 overall, but it just kind of goes to show kind of, you know, it's not a massive asset, I guess. The known good blocker, um, Tommy Tremble, is sitting at ninth overall. He's more of a run blocker than a pass blocker, but he can also do it. As far as yards after the catch, guys, who are the ones that catch it and make something happen after the after the fact? Um, 
The highest that's in the draft is actually Brevin Jordan, who's a guy that I kind of like quite a bit. 9.3 yards after the catch per reception. After that, you got Kenny Yaboa out of Ole Miss. He is the sixth tight end on this list, but still at 172 because it's such a weak tight end class. There's almost nobody available. So he's at 172, but he's the sixth on this list. As far as drops, not surprisingly, again, Kyle Pitts, zero drops, zero. 65 targets, 43 receptions, zero drops. Also got Sean Beyer out of Iowa who didn't drop a single pass. On the negative side, not a ton of guys that uh, that are interesting anyways that had real big drop issues. The worst, though, at 24th overall would be Tommy Tremble, 9.5%. It's only two drops. And beyond that, we kind of know that's not his thing anyways. It's just not a great receiver. As far as contested catches, another big thing if you're going to be a tight end in the NFL, that's kind of what I expect you to do. Again, Sean Beyer at the top of the list. He's 100%, only 2 of 2, but still 100%. Tommy Tremble, actually quite solid here, had 4 of 5. So not the greatest receiver. He's not really going to get open, but if you just launch it to him, it's a good chance he comes down with it. Uh, Kenny Yaboa is at 75%. Pat Fryermuth, 67%, 8 of 12. On the negative side of this, you got Brevin Jordan. Brevin only had two of eight on contested catches. Uh, switching over to missed tackles forced, Brevin Jordan is at the top of the list with nine. Kyle Pitts all the way down here at five. Still fifth on the list, but that's how far it falls. And then finally, looking at run blocking. Again, we know Tommy Tremble, very good run blocker. Sean Beyer, again, out of Iowa, who's popped up several times on this list. He actually has a 90 overall grade, so he does quite a few things well. Again, Bayer is pretty low on this list at 269. Wouldn't be super surprised if you see him go a little bit earlier. I mean, he may not be the greatest athlete in the world, but, I mean, he does everything seemingly fairly well. Guys that are kind of terrible at it, you got Trey McBride out of Colorado State. Brevin Jordan, not fantastic. Even, again, Kyle Pitts, decent pass blocker, but the run blocking isn't quite there. Most of these guys are not great at it. Most modern tight ends are more receivers than, than blockers anyways. But if you're looking for one, again, Tommy Tremble. Sean Beyer, Luke Farrell out of Ohio State, John Bates at Boise State, etc., etc. I'll switch over to running back now for fun. As far as just straight-up running grades, Javante Williams is number one. Uh, Najee Harris is actually fifth. As far as the guys that are in between that uh, don't get enough attention, how about Khalil Herbert out of Virginia Tech, currently at 156 overall, second-highest running grade in college football. After that, Michael Carter out of North Carolina, 71st overall. So you got two North Carolina guys. And then Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma rounds out the top five. Look at run blocking just because the grade is right next to it. Nothing overly exciting. Otis Anderson, who's 531st overall. As far as guys maybe you've heard of, Javian Hawkins out of Louisville. Uh, Trey Sermon, Ohio State is 6th. Javante Williams, 7th. How about good old-fashioned yards per attempt? Number one on this list, great name, never heard of him in my life, Jake Funk out of Maryland, 8.4 yards per reception. After that, once again, Michael Carter out of North Carolina, second time he's made the list, 7.9 yards per attempt. Um, Again, looking at kind of guys you probably heard of, Trey Sermon, 7.5 yards per attempt in the top five. Javante Williams is sixth at 7.4. How about yards after contact? Again, I don't know what the Packers want in a running back. Um, it, I, I, I would think yards after contact would be important, but at the same time, maybe we want something a little different than what we've got, but let's look at it anyways. Once again, Javante Williams, just top of every board, 4.59. 
You've also got Khalil Herbert and Jared Patterson. Once again, Michael Carter right behind Javante Williams out of North Carolina at 4.47 yards after contact per attempt. Trey Ragas, 4.2 yards after contact per attempt. It's all the same names over and over. It's like there's there's also notice um, Najee Harris has not really been on a lot of these lists. 3.26 yards per attempt, 19th overall. Not saying he's bad. I'm just saying it's the same guys every single time. How about missed tackles forced? By a mile, we got two guys ahead, and this time you get Najee Harris. Number one, Javante Williams, 76 missed tackles forced. Najee Harris, 71. In third place, Jarrett Patterson with only 47. And I shouldn't even say only because that's disrespectful, but the gap between 47 and these guys in the 70s is pretty wild. Uh, runs of 10 or more yards. First place, Najee Harris. See, I say that now it's he's first in every category. Second, Javante Williams. Again, I mean, Javante's been... You understand why he grades out higher than everybody else. He's top of, like, every category. Also got Michael Carter, again, out of North Carolina. Khalil Herbert, again, out of Virginia Tech. And then C.J. Marable out of Coastal Carolina. As far as receiving grades, and these drop off really quick. There's actually not a lot. We've only got seven guys with good, quote-unquote, good receiving grades. Number one, Travis Etienne. First time we've heard his name. 90.9 overall grade. Then you got Michael Carter, again, out of North Carolina with an 88.6. Najee Harris, 81.6. Javante Williams, 77.5. Again, there's... And, and and we've heard this, by the way. I, well, let me finish the list. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson at 75. Trey Ragas, again, at 74.6. And C.J. Marable out of uh, uh, Coastal Carolina, 71.3. There has been a lot of talk about certain teams like the Steelers or whatever going early on a running back because teams see that there's like three or four and then nothing, Right. You've got Javante Williams, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and then after that, it's like, yeah, I don't know. So they may go a little bit earlier than expected because it's just, you know, once one goes, it's like, all right, we got to hurry up or we're just not getting one. As far as the old elusiveness rating, number one by a mile, Javante Williams, 215.4. I don't know exactly how to quantify that, but second place is Jarrett Patterson at 159.2, just to give you uh, an idea of how massive of a gap that is. Trey Ragas, number three at Louisiana Lafayette, 140.9. Ramondre Stevenson, fourth. Michael Carter, fifth. It sounds like there's only about, you know, I mean, there are only 44 running backs listed here, but there's a lot of guys we'd never named. It's the same guys, Ramondre Stevenson, Trey Ragas, uh, Javante Williams. How about um, Demetric Felton, Asim Rose, Jamar Jefferson, Caleb Huntley, Deion Jackson, Josh Johnson, Jamal Jones, Corey Taylor, Diedrich Mills, Kyle Porter, Jake, well, we did mention Jake Funk once, Otis Anderson. These names never came up once. It's just, it seems like there's only a handful of guys. There's not. There's just like five, six, seven guys that pop up in the top every single time. So, again, that's not to say that some of these guys can't be somewhat good at some things. If you look at running grades, I mean, almost every single one of them grades out really well. In fact, out of 44 guys, um, 39 had 70 or higher running grades and to be fair the Packers generally are just looking for runners right we want like fancy real good receivers like these smaller speedier guys the Packers just like just give me a 5'11 220 pound guy that can just run the ball pretty well and there's just a bunch of those offensive line I'm just going to keep it real simple run blockers and pass blockers tackles Brady Christensen is top of the board he's been number one kind of across the board you can take into account scheme and all kinds of different things but it just is what it is he grades out really well then you got Christian Derrissaw Tevin Jenkins uh Coyote Awosika out of Buffalo 
currently sitting at 284th overall. Uh, the next that I can actually see that is in the draft is Liam Eichenberg at 5th. Sam Cosme comes in at 8th, Leatherwood at nine. On and on she goes. Sorry, if, if I said that wrong, that was run blocking. This is pass blocking. Again, Brady Christensen, Christian Derisaw, Sam Cosme at 3. Parker Ferguson is 5th. He's dead last on this list of tackles at 532. Looking at guards, um, geez, I don't know. Run block blocking, you got Tristan Hogue out of BYU. Aaron Banks is 10th with an 82 overall, which is pretty solid. Ben Cleveland, 77. Tommy Kramer, we're all the way down to 14th now. Pass blocking, you got Ben Cleveland, number one, or excuse me, number two, 86.2. Followed by Jack Anderson, Nolan Laufenberg, and Jordan Meredith. Centers, run blocking, you got uh, Landon Dickerson, number one, at a 92.8 overall. Creed Humphrey is fourth with an 84 overall. And then, strangely enough, pass blocking is kind of lacking here. Uh, the first guy is third on this list, Rye Schneider, out of OSU, 543rd overall on the big board. Only a 79.5. If we look at guys that we actually know, Landon Dickerson had a 76.2. He was seventh. Um, Creed Humphrey, 10th at a 68.9 pass blocking grade. So not overly impressive with that. Flipping over now to defense. Look at some defensive tackle grades. Number one overall defensive tackle grades. We'll go in order here. Milton Williams, number one out of Louisiana Tech. Alim McNeil, number two. Christian Barmore, number three. A name we're not super familiar with, O'Brien Goodson out of Memphis. And then my man Tommy Togiai uh, coming in fifth. Again, this is overall grades. If you're looking for dominant run defenders, not surprisingly, number one, Alim McNeil, who is a bigger nose tackle type. Milton Williams, again, Louisiana Tech, number two. O'Brady Goodson, again, number three. Tommy Togiai, again, number four. And then a new name to the list, again, kind of further down the list out of, at, at 232 overall, Taquan Graham, defensive lineman out of Texas. Pass rush, which is much harder to come by out of, uh, let's see, we got about 50-ish guys here that are supposed 2021 guys that played in 2020 and played a decent amount of snaps. Uh, 16 of them have at least good pass rushing grades. Number one, Christian Barmore. Number two, Milton Williams, who's just great at everything. Um, number three, O'Brien Goodson again out of Memphis. Number four, Daniel Archibong. Number five, actually, Alim McNeil. Now, we talked about him a little bit. His statistics are not all that great. 12 pressures out of 262 is like, what did I say, like 4% or something not fantastic. However, if he grades out well, it's entirely possible that you're looking at a guy that just eats up a ton of double teams or whatever, and that if he actually gets one-on-one -on -one opportunities, he could be quite solid. If that's the case, this guy's a first-round prospect. I don't think that is, but anytime you get these big, giant, 330-pound nose tackles that can throw people out of the way and pass rush, they're first-round prospects. In terms of statistics, guys with just massive pressure numbers, Christian Barmore had 39 overall. Milton Williams, number two. I wish I had different names for you, but Milton Williams with 30. You got Jonathan Marshall out of Arkansas, 226 on the big board. Osa Odigizua, defensive lineman out of UCLA, 116 on the big board, had uh, 25 pressures. And then again, Tommy Togiai, who did not have a lot of opportunities, which is why this is quite an impressive stat. 24, the fifth most, again, there's quite a few filters here, but fifth most pressures of any defensive lineman. He only had 291 total attempts. The other guys, uh, not even attempts, we're talking total snaps, 450, 633 for Jonathan Marshall, 493 for Milton Williams, 478 
for Christian Barmore. Barmore also led in sacks with eight. Tackling, which is, of course, pretty important, especially if we're talking run defense, missed, pers- missed tackle percentages. Guys that are real low, Lim McNeil, 3.8%. Tommy Togiai is uh, third with 4%. O'Brien Goodson, again, on this list, real low. Couple guys to watch out for Lorenzo Neal, defensive lineman out of Purdue, 348 on the big board, 33% missed tackles. That's pretty crazy to me. 15 opportunities, he missed five of them. Flipping over now to edge rushers, the top guy that's actually draft eligible, Ronnie Perkins, edge rusher out of Oklahoma, 90.4 overall grade, followed by Aziz Ojulari. Sorry, actually, I skipped Raymond Johnson at 536 overall on the big board here. I was looking in the wrong category. Uh, Teron Jackson out of Coastal Carolina, 253 on the big board. He is third overall. Then you got Cam Sample out of Tulane, who rounds out the top five. In terms of run defense, Ronnie Perkins, number one. Jason Oway, number two. Raymond Johnson, number three. Patrick Jones out of Pittsburgh is number four, and Cam Sample is number five. Then, of course, most important, pass rush. Aziz Ojulari is number one, 91.7 overall pass rush grade. Jordan Smith out of UAB is number two with a 91.4 overall grade. Wyatt Hubert out of Kansas State, 268 on the big board, is number three with a 90.8 overall grade. Ronnie Perkins with a 90.4. Cam Sample with a 90.4. Jonathan Cooper with a 90.4. They're all tied for fourth place um, as pass rushers. Other guys with 90 overall grades, you got Raymond Johnson, who we've talked about several times, Teron Jackson out of Coastal Carolina, Um, Peyton Turner out of Houston and Rashad Weaver out of Pittsburgh, all with elite pass rushing grades. In terms of statistics, Teron Jackson out of Coastal Carolina, 59 pressures, 445 attempts. Jordan Smith out of UAB, 50 pressures. Raymond Johnson, 49. Cam Sample, 48. Rashad Weaver, 48. Three of the guys had 10 sacks. Patrick Johnson out of Tulane, Wyatt Hubert, Kansas State, and Rashad Weaver. As far as guys that don't miss tackles, Cam Sample, again, third at uh, 5.7 missed tackle percentage. Jason Oway, also very low on this list, 7.9. Just kind of skipping around to guys that we probably know. Joseph Asai out of Texas is 12.5. Eh, it's kind of middling. Guys that are a little bit high, Deo Odenigbo out of Vanderbilt, 29% missed tackle rate. Wyatt Hubert, who we've mentioned several times, 29. Dalen Hayes out of Notre Dame, 26%. Shaka Tony, 24%. Chris Rumpf, 23%. So not super fantastic. Probably should look at coverage, because why not? Quincy Roche out of Miami, Florida, with an 88.9 coverage grade. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz, 83.6. Josh Kando, 81. Zach Daw, 78.9. And Teron Jackson rounding out the top five, 76.1. It's actually a decent amount of guys that can drop into coverage. Uh, 14 out of, uh, let's see how many we got here, 14 out of 61 are um, competent, I guess. Hamilcar Rashad is not one of them, 38.8. He's absolute bottom of the barrel. Same with Joseph Asai, Wyatt uh, Hubert, Jason Oway, Patrick Johnson, Ronnie Perkins. I mean, if, if, if that's going to be a component, this matters, right? Ronnie Perkins, I mean, if he's just horrible at it, or Hamilcar Rashad, probably not super interested, but I wouldn't think that that should be a deterrent. Making progress. Moving on to linebacker, top guys, number one overall grade, Zaven Collins, Justin Hilliard coming in at three, Antoine Simmons at four, 388 overall, Mr. Jamin Davis, fifth out of Kentucky. Looking at the top run defenders, Antoine Simmons again out of Michigan State, 
Grant Stewart out of Houston, Jamin Davis out of Kentucky, John Radigan out of Army, and Amen Ogbonbonyinyambum out of Oklahoma State. Best tackling tight ends, Jake Hansen, Nick Neiman, Cam McGrone, Monty Rice, and again, Mr. Jamin Davis. Best pass rushing linebackers, Zaven Collins, number one, Aaron Pierce, number two, Jake Hansen, number three, Isaiah Kafusi, number four, Monty Rice, number five. And then finally, and possibly most importantly, coverage linebackers. Again, number one, Zaven Collins. Keep in mind, Tulsa is a smaller school, so he's very dominant, but would he be that dominant if he played for, you know, I don't know, LSU. Speaking of, uh, well, Jabril Cox, number three, Jarrell White, number two, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, fifth, Justin Hilliard, uh, excuse me, fifth. I, I My brain's fried. You get the idea. Fourth and fifth. Tackling, obviously a very important uh, part of this. Cam McGrone, who is who is every bit a, a Jake Ryan linebacker, zero missed tackles. Uh, some other guys up on top, Jake Hansen out of Illinois, 3.8%. Nick Neiman, 3.9%. Monty Rice, 5.7%. Tuff Borland, 65 All very low. Jamin Davis also at 7%. Guys who are a little bit too high on this list that we actually care about. Uh, Patty Fisher is a little bit high. Jeremiah Wosukoromoa is actually 15.2%, which is a little bit high. Zavin Collins, 26, 13.3%. Jabril Cox, also 13.3%. Looking at stops, which are tackles that were a negative play for the offense. Garrett Wallow out of TCU with 53 stops. John Radigan, 45. Nick Bolton, then Buddy Johnson, and then Amin Ogbonigbonibinium, who's tied with Chaz Surratt. Zavin Collins leads the group in interceptions with four. Uh, Jamin Davis, Jabril Cox, each with three. I think that's good enough for that. Highest graded corners, Patrick Sertan, number one. Shamar Jean-Charles out of App State is number two. Zach McPherson, three. Shakur Brown, four. Asante Samuel Jr. is fifth. Craig Newsom, for those curious, is seventh on this list. I guess we'll go through the top ten since it's pretty interesting. Uh, Rodarius Williams is sixth. Greg Newsom, seventh. Elijah Griffin, eighth. Bryce Thompson, ninth. And uh, Fetty Milfanwu is 10th. We'll just skip right over to coverage because who cares about anything but that. Patrick Sertan, 1. Zach McPherson, 2. Shamar Jean-Charles, 3. Shakur Brown, 4. Greg Newsom is 5. Asante Samuel, 6. Marlon Character, 7. Elijah Griffin, 8. Rodarius Williams, 9. Fetty Milfanwu is 10. Uh, as far as run defense, there's four guys that are quite good at it. Patrick Sertan, again, top of every list. Brandon E. Coles, Shamar Shamar Jean-Charles and Aaron Robinson are four very good run defenders. As far as reception percentage, and I'll just keep it to guys that we're more familiar with, J.C. Horn, only 33%, eight receptions on 24 targets. Greg Newsom, only 12 receptions on 34 targets. Not super great reception percentage, which what we're looking at is, um, for those that aren't following with what I'm saying, when they get thrown at, the receiver catches it, which is a bad thing. Um, Israel Makawamu is second worst, 12 of 14. That's, that's about it. I mean, it's about Nate Hobbs, A.J. Parker, Avery Williams, whatever. Yards per reception. Hey, Greg Newsom is actually doing quite well on these lists. Only 7.8 yards per reception. That's the second lowest of the entire group. Um, Eric Stokes is fifth on the list with, uh, 9.1. Asante Samuel sixth at 9.4. Trill Williams, 9.5. And that'll be enough of that. As far as on the negative side, uh, Benjamin Saint-Just at 16.7, Israel Makuamu 16, Cam Bynum 15, 
touchdowns, guys that gave up zero touchdowns on the season. Uh, we'll just give them all props. Avery Williams, Lorenzo Burns, Chris Wilcox, Rodarius Williams, Keith Taylor, Elijah Griffin, and yes, Mr. Greg Newsom. The guy that gave up the most touchdowns on the season with seven is Sean Wade out of Ohio State. The next highest was five, given up by Tyson Campbell and Jason Pinnock. Interception leader with five is Shakur Brown. Four interceptions to Calvin Joseph, Eric Stokes, and Zach McPherson. The no interception club is far too big to even worry about. Massive props to Shamar Jean-Charles with 16 pass breakups on the season. Next highest was nine with Patrick Sertan. That's, that's a massive number of pass breakups. Eight pass breakups by Michael Carter, Aaron Robinson, and Marlon Character. Seven to Emmanuel Dabney, Greg Newsom, and Efedi Melfanwu. Um, nobody of serious stature with zero pass breakups except the guy that I was saying for a long time I liked that I just can't defend anymore because of he's on the bottom of all these lists, Mr. Israel Makuamu. And then here you go, for those looking to get excited about Greg Newsom, lowest passer rating of the entire crew, 31.7, number one overall is Mr. Greg Newsom. Um, 41.5 to Elijah Griffin, 43.6 Eric Stokes, Trey Brown at 46.2, Asante Samuel 46.2. Looking at the worst, obviously Mr. Israel Makawamu is fifth on this list at 118.8. Sean Wade also not very good at 118.4. Tyson Campbell at 114.4. Um, who else do we care about here? Benjamin St. Just, I guess, at 102. Anybody else over the 100 club? Not really. I mean, there's a bunch, but nobody that I care to read about. And finally, safety. And yes, I'm done after safety. We're not doing special teams because I'm just completely burned out. Should have known this was going to take forever. <laughs> and again, this does not even include guys that skipped out on 2019. I'm just looking at who did what in 2020. You want to figure out that uh, that's it's too much. Highest graded safeties. Elijah Molden is number one out of Washington. Um, again, I'm just going to skip some of these names that we probably aren't super familiar with. But uh, Richie Grant is fifth. He's a projected second-round pick, as well as Divine Diablo, sixth. Best overall run defenders, Richie Grant, number one, with an elite grade, 90.0. Damar Hamlin, 87.2. Troy Warner, 84.5. Ben DeLuca, 83.6. Chris Brown, 81.7. And finally, Eric Burrell, 80.9 out of Wisconsin. Those are the top-tier run-defending safeties of the group. Best tacklers, Jamie and Sherwood, Nick Pickett, uh, Devon Key, Jordan Peters, Isaiah Hayes, Richie Grant again at sixth overall, and Ben DeLuca. Best pass rushing safeties, if you're looking for a little extra juice. Um, not a lot of guys' names that I'm even familiar with. Jacoby Stevens, Thomas Leggett, Dwayne Johnson. Not The Rock, I'm assuming, but maybe. Just not a lot going on here. But finally, coverage. Uh, Talanoa Hafunga, Trey Norwood, Elijah Molden at three, Devon Key at four, and Divine Diablo at five. Uh, we might as well add in Jamar Johnson because he's also in the 80 club. Looking at pressure statistics, Jacoby Stevens out of LSU, 12 pressures. Second highest is Hafunga uh, out of USC with eight, and then it's all downhill from there. Sacks, uh, Hafunga had four, that's number one. Interception leaders, Trey Norwood with five. Uh, Hafunga with four, Jamar Johnson with four, and Divine Diablo with four. Pass breakups, we get Mr. Trayvon Morig here uh, with eight pass breakups, Damar Hamlin with seven. The no touchdown club, Dwayne Johnson, Brennan Thiemann, Cedric Stone, Derek Forrest, Elijah Molden, 
Devon Key, Jamar Johnson, and Marcus Murphy. Lowest passer rating when targeted, Jamar Johnson, Richie Grant, Derek Forrest, Elijah Molden, and Troy Warner with the top five. And I, I think that's good enough. Again, it's just kind of giving you a little bit more specifics on who does what well. And now that we got a big old pile of names, you can take out your pen and paper, scratch down the, the guys that you like, the guys you don't like, because tonight we're getting after it. And to be honest, a lot of this information is going to be more useful probably day two, day three, because round one, we already know what we like and don't like or whatever. Plus, if you just jump on the stream, I'll give you all the information you need to know after the Packers make the pick. So just make sure you're there and we'll talk about it. But I absolutely need to go to bed. It's 11 o'clock. This took forever. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you later today. Have a good one. Bye-bye.